Hey everybody, uh, we're just running into a couple technical difficulties, but um, we're going to try and get Lynn in as we go here. Uh, we may have him here soon. But uh, first of all, we'd like to thank All Star Bowling being our sponsor for May. Once again, you can get 15% off any of the products they sell uh, by using the code 5PINU15. Um, you'll see that in the ad and in the banners to come. Hey guys, uh, just want to welcome the regular podcast, the Wiseman Twins and Adam Weber. And we seem to have Lynn Hell in here. We're hoping that he will hear us. Um, let's bring him on in. Yeah. Hey Lynn, can you hear hey us? Hey guys, how's, how's it going? Hey, there we go. I think we got Yay. it. Hey. Sorry. Sorry about the problems. I don't know what that was all about. That's just uh, me and uh, me and technology. Nothing wants to see <laughs> No worries, no worries. We got you in just in the nick of time. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I got to apologize to everybody for the long, shaggy hair. Uh, obviously, barber shops have been open, and uh, and it's been tough getting a haircut. So I got my uh, Vinny Chartier uh, mullet going here. <laughs> <laughs> the classic, the classic. The classic, yeah, yeah. I love you, Vinny. <laughs> so, uh, Hey guys, welcome aboard. This is uh, this is pretty neat for me. Uh, pretty exciting uh, seeing the group of guys that I get to talk to and uh, maybe answer a question or two. I don't know how good I'm going to be on that, but uh, um, you thought Gino talked a lot. Well, you're in for a ride here. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I'll I'll keep you on time just like I did Gino, or I'll just kick you from the live stream. Whatever we gotta do. <laughs> Uh, Lynn, first of all, we can't thank you enough for joining us and uh, being able to answer some of our questions here. Um, as many people know, you were inducted into the C5 Hall of Fame in 2019 as a coach. Um, yes. You have many accolades as a player, coach, um, just a huge part of the sport. And uh, we can be happier to have you on and hopefully everything runs smoothly and your phone doesn't die on you. Yeah, that's good. Well, thanks, guys. I I'm really excited about this, uh, what you guys do and the people you've had on. And uh, it's just it's just great for the sport. Well, thanks, Len. So uh, <laughs> well, we'll bring up Wyland Willier's first comment. He's wondering why we keep bringing on the old guys on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryland, we'll, we'll just tell you it's because they have way better stories than you do at this point. <laughs> at this point, that's right. <laughs> well, we could make some up about Ronan if he wants to uh, join in, you know. Oh, we've already got a few. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy they keep bringing older guys than me on. Yeah. You know what, Adam? <laughs> 20 years, but 20 years, this is you, Adam. It might be. With way, more with way more accolades, I might add. I'll be long gone by then. <laughs> start, start growing the mustache now. <laughs> yeah, I got the mullet working. Let's start in. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, so, uh, so just before we get going, guys, uh, I'm looking at Dexter and Adam and uh, Timmy, who we uh, we were uh, fortunate enough to win the national men's singles title last year out in Vancouver. Um, guys, you're probably going to go down this history as the only. Uh... <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> just leaves us in suspense. Man, I'm I have total suspense right now. Um, let's just hope that's a Wi-Fi spike. Oh, oh. oh there you go. You're back. back, Lynn. 
<laughs> Lynn, are you there? Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Yeah. So, so we're. Uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> so we're gonna go down as what? Sorry, for the the only people in history oh, to do what? Um, uh, I don't, you guys are uh, the only guys that are gonna hold the uh, Canadian singles title for two years. With yeah. No, yeah. With no national championship this year. So it's gonna be the asterisks beside their names again. That's typical. I'll take asterisks, right? We, we defended our title yeah, with the I'll pandemic. <laughs> that's good. Man, we've all played Bonnie Doom. We're used to the asterisks. Yeah, yes. that's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Lynn, one of the questions uh, I wanted to ask you um, for this podcast is, obviously you're inducted into the C5 Hall of Fame as a coach, and you've coached many teams, uh, Masters teams, Open teams, mixed, ladies, men's. Um, how do you, how do you think you became such a versatile coach where you can go into all those groups and, uh, be successful? Well, um, winning helps, right? You, you, uh, you get chosen early and people try you out and, uh, you know, you have a little bit of success early and, and I, this is a phrase I'll probably use a lot tonight, but I've, I've been very lucky because obviously, uh, Alberta is a wealth of talent when it comes to five-pin bowling. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Mortar, I've been lucky to uh, to have on my teams when I've been coaching. And he's he's a pretty good uh, he's a pretty good guy to uh, to throw out on the lane and throw balls for you. So um, so we did some winning, and you know when you win, people are are they're gonna try you again. And you know if you do well again, then they're gonna try you again. And uh, and just kind of fell into it a little bit. Uh, but we've had such great bowlers in this province, and I've been, been fortunate to, have, to, to work with so many of them. And, uh, and it's, just, it's, just, it's just been a blast, including you guys, right? I think I've, I've coached every single one of you guys. Uh, Kerry, did we win a gold? Yep, we did. Yeah, in we Saskatoon. Did. Okay. Yep. In Saskatoon, yeah. Okay, so, so I've won golds with all of you. So, I mean, the talent pool that I've been working with has been phenomenal. So, uh, so I've been lucky that way. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, we won with in Saskatoon. We had the All Central Masters team that you were coaching us. Okay. Yeah. See, and, and there, there's, there's a good point too. All Central bowlers, out of my zone, uh, not my zone, and you guys trust me enough to pick me. I mean, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm friends with all of you guys, but uh, to, to go out of your zone and, and pick somebody else and. Uh, and be successful just it means the world to me yeah for sure um obviously your name is well known in alberta if and across the country obviously um i'm sure just about anybody that's in the competitive side of bowling would love to have you at least coach them at least once um i know there's been talk from a few different provinces wondering how is being coached by you and obviously uh it's you being a part of the Hall of Fame now just escalates your your name in the industry even more, right? Well, I, I talk a lot. <laughs> I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but uh, I'm constantly talking. I try not and lose. I try not and lose my bowlers. I think the biggest thing is that everybody at competing at a Canadian Championship or Provincial Championship, everybody basically knows how to throw the ball and what they're doing. What I try to do is I just try to people 
keep people engaged in the game, make sure their minds on the right thoughts and, uh, and it gives them the ability to go up there and compete and have a chance to win. Yeah. Uh, last year, especially you were absolutely phenomenal with that. Or, um, <laughs> or, or holding, holding other bowlers in high esteem, you know, and, and you're afraid to play them. You're so I, I try to keep everybody's head in the game. And, and so I'm constantly nattering because I mean, Let's face it, guys. We, I'm, I'm looking at a panel of four phenomenal bowlers. There's not really much I'm going to tell you about physically throwing the ball. But I will make sure that you stay in, in line and with what you're supposed to be thinking and, and what you're supposed to be focusing on. So that, that's generally what I try to do. Like, are you going to tell Bruce Moore how to throw the ball, right? Well, I, I would, but that doesn't yep. mean I'm right. Carrie, <laughs> <laughs> I think a couple of times when Bruce has had something to drink and he's been emulating some of the bowlers, I think I saw him do you once. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I hope, I hope not. I hope not. No. Um, so, Get Lynn, yeah, yeah, we're all good. Can you hear us still? Are you good? Oh, another Wi-Fi spike. Uh, Rob, Robbie Hendrickson has a, a great comment. Has anybody seen Timble? Uh, Not recently, thankfully. <laughs> Are you good now, Lynn? So, so we 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 were gone. We, we were gone there for a few minutes. Yes. So, did you guys did you guys disappear? No, no we, we, no, we, we, we got you. All. Hey, Lynn, what what's some closer to the router? But I'm almost. I'm almost sitting on it. <laughs> well, Sue's downloading bad stuff right now, Lynn. Filling time. Got to get her off those. Got to get her off those porn sites. While I'm to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, Lynn. Uh, what are some yeah. of the difficulties in, in uh, coaching some of the the top end players? Um. Well, you know, it's different. Uh, the Open's obviously different than the Masters because in the Masters, everybody plays. And in the Open, you've got six guys all wanting to be on the lane at the same time. So you really got to be careful and trying to get everybody playing time. Um, I'm not saying you're dealing with egos or anything like that because it's all about winning. And if one guy's on the bench for a little longer than of time than somebody else and you're winning, it's a little easier to understand why you're on the bench. But if if you're not playing as much and your team's not winning – it's it's tough to justify why they're not in, right? So so you really got to try to be careful that way. Um, when you've got six really good bowlers, which is always the situation coming out of Edmonton, you, you really do have to look at the amount of frames that people throw and which which are the bowlers that are throwing them. I know Adam, I'm very reluctant to to take you out uh, of a game just for the simple fact that it doesn't matter who's on the bench, whether it be Tim Dexter, Bradley. Um, anyway, Bruce, you're not going to get a better bowler than yourself coming off the bench. You know how to handle the situation. So maybe you maybe you've thrown a couple of balls for two frames that that hasn't worked. You will get it to work before you go three or four frames. Some bowlers will struggle a little longer than others, and some bowlers can correct themselves quicker than others. So understanding the person is is a big part of it. You got to understand the game. You got to understand the bowlers. You got to understand their temperaments. And a lot of times you got to understand the other team. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think a lot of times with the, especially with the open um, and especially where we're from. And 
I think a lot of the coaches might give us a little bit more leeway, me, Dexter, and Adam, because we've been on the open teams more than a rookie maybe, right? Um, right. But yeah. but that that's where yourself as a coach can definitely do that, right? I mean, you guys can figure out what who's ticking, who's not. And, and I know there's been plenty of times where – you throw me on the bench because I haven't been playing well, and that's the way it should be, right? We're still winning, right? So, well, um, that's that's the big part, Tim. Coach, people will say a coach doesn't make many mistakes when you win, right? Yeah. But uh, I I I go look over my shoulder all the time when I'm making a move, wondering should I be doing that? And and a lot of it too is if a guy's struggling, um, you know, I might throw him in the middle of the lineup. Um, not saying there's weaker bowlers there, but if there is going to be a weaker bowler on a team, they're either going to probably be in the two or three spot. So I might take a, a good bowler that's been struggling a little bit and throw him in there to get him a couple of wins just to get him back in the right train of thought, you know, get his confidence going again. Um, it really helps to to uh, watch and know the other bowlers. And when I'm when I'm out there bowling, I'm not I'm not just watching the ball hitting the pins. I watch I watch mannerisms. I watch, you know, when they come off the lane, where's where's their head? Where are their eyes? What are they saying to their teammates, as well as cheering on and watching what my team's doing? So I really, you guys know me. I really get engaged. I try to uh, try to watch everything that's going on out there and and try to make a try to make a judgment from that. And believe me, I'm not always right. There's there's lots of times where I've made mistakes and I've I've kicked myself. But um, usually when I usually when I try to kick myself, I hit somebody else's foot that's already in my butt. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's hard not to make mistakes when you know you're you're likely to make a pull every game and there's at least you know you have 20 games in a tournament for provincials 20 21 for nationals is it um, yeah. so I mean mistakes are going to happen um, yeah. but well, it's all about how all about how people handle that you know um, both the coach and the player for sure and and you know what especially like again we're talking about an Edmonton Open team I mean. You're, you're gonna you're gonna pull your uh, you or or Tim after four frames. Again, you guys are great bowlers. Yeah, there's many times you guys have started off with sixty in the fourth and thrown a three hundred. So if I pull you in the fourth, am I pulling you too early? You know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I always like to give the bowler that's coming in a chance to feel like it's his game, not mm -hmm. just come in when they're down by a hundred with two frames. Go and say, all right, go throw the ball with some meaning. It's like, well, it it can't yeah. happen. But there are some times when I'll say to somebody, okay, you know what? This game's over. There's two frames left. Go in and throw some warm-up balls. Find your rhythm. Don't worry about the match. It's done. Um, you know, usually they were going in for Tim at that point in time. Depends what you're, yeah. At this kind of level, too, I think a lot of the these bowlers know when they're not feeling it. And they, they'll right. even look at the coach and say, you know what, get me out of here because this isn't working. Well, I, I, think, I think just by looking at you guys, there's not many times you're going to look around and say, I want out of here. You guys are top notch bowlers. You, you want to fight and claw for every inch you can get. So I understand that's why I, that's when I say I watch, uh, you know, how the body's reacting and do you look lethargic up there and everything. Mm -hmm. But you know, when a guy's struggling, the last thing he's going to do is turn around and look, look at the coach square in the eyes. Yeah. Right. He's well, going to, uh, he's going to turn around. That's the first he's turn quarter. Yeah. yeah, he's going to turn around and grab the ball off the rack without looking at the coach. Going, <laughs> I hope he lets me throw one more because this one's going to be good, right? Yeah. <laughs> punch a three pin and then they just walk off. So, well, uh, well here you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into a little story time with this, Lynn. So, that'll be a question for each of you, these guys and yourself. Um, was there ever a point in a match? Let's let's go with the national level where you 
you knew you need to come out of the match. Um, yep. I, and I'll start. So my last open nationals, we were playing, I want to say, I think it was Newfoundland against Brad Glenn and those guys. And we needed to win the match 7-1 to make stepladder. And I started my match against Brad Glenn with four plows. I turned around at Mike Tweedy and I told him, if he doesn't pull me, I'm walking off. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, starting that way, I may even have 60 in the fourth. That's no way to uh, go into the, the last match to try and get into a stepladder, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. <laughs> I hear you on that. You're a bit different though, Kerry, because when you get locked in on that head pin and that angle, like hey, you're like locked in on that angle. Dex yeah. is another one who, who kind of gets into that mode, right? Yeah. Uh, for myself, I, I I hate getting pulled, so I, I it's it's almost like you kind of find that extra little change or something just to to I don't know, just change something uh, out there, whether it's a, you know add a little speed, uh, pull a little speed back, and if that doesn't work for a couple frames, then yeah, you're, you're kind of looking around, uh, but uh, half the time you're kind of looking at the guy that's on the bench is, you know, he, is he ready to come in, right? Is he mentally ready to come in, right? So yeah. um, it's it, it's tough. Um, no. So for for when I thought I should get a pull, it was probably uh, on a national level, I played enough for them now, I think. Uh, probably last Open was the first day on BC. I was absolutely butt ugly. I lost – I didn't know where anything was going. I was just punching. It was just not very good. And I think the last day, I just think I just, uh, the last game you pulled me and it was probably, uh, I looked at you and you knew it was time. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and if it wasn't for the open, probably the whole entire 2014 masters, I actually looked at you multiple times <laughs> and I said, when you pull me, it's like, we need all five. You can't play with four. So. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that correctly too. Well, I, I, uh, I don't remember, I don't remember a lot of the comments. I remember that. What was it? 226 average. Of uh, the first day. Well, uh, from which no, one? I masters? Think, I think, yeah, I think, I, I Ma think you masters just, 229 and 229.7 and Mark Miller's 229.0. Oh, okay. um, so I remember that specifically that I didn't feel so bad, but I was bad. Yeah. 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 yeah but you know what, you know what, look at, look at what that's done for you though, Tim, it's, it sat in the back of your mind and it, it, it made you better because yep. you can, you can take that and you can garble it up inside your mind and you can keep out of what that was good. Mm -hmm. And then you can throw away what was bad. Now I presume a lot of it was a throwaway. But nothing's ever 100% wrong or well, nothing's ever 100% right. There's always something you can learn. And, and by learning that, that's that's made you even better because I tell you what, man, you've absolutely crushed the Alberta Masters. What is it, three of the last four years? And let's face four it, Alberta, years, yeah. Alberta is not easy and you've made it look like a walk in the park. Well, if you – okay, okay, okay. Be, be here, people. I'm going to have to start muting. We're not here to pump Tim's tires. <laughs> yeah. if, 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 if you haven't noticed, Lynn, uh, that experience, I never made another team after that. So <laughs> uh, just going to say that there. Yeah, yeah. Other people have won singles and like, nah, we'll pass. We'll give it a Tim. <laughs> oh, no, that's good. Well, like, like I said, you're a cruel bunch. I've said that to you before. So I'm going to mind my P's and Q's before yeah. you start jumping on me. You, you call us a cruel bunch, but you've got a big smile on you. Yep. <laughs> that's, so, that's true. So we will story time this again. Um, and this, I know Lynn wasn't uh, maybe too proud of us when we did it. 
But uh, unfortunately, Mitch Davies happened to lose uh, a, ma- a national title oh, yeah. by attempting a three pin. So we're going to Masters Nationals in Winnipeg, right, Tim? This was the Winnipeg year? It was probably karma, yeah, yeah. And so we we decided to make a Vine video when Vine was a big thing on how to spare three pins. We thought it was funny as heck, but uh, I'm sure Lynn wasn't uh, too proud of it. I said to you guys, I said, you know, you don't get a lot of chances to win a national singles title. And he punched a three pin on the last ball to lose. What was it, 308, 303 or something like that? Yeah. Uh, well, he, you, he, guys are, you, you guys are out there setting up. He needed the spirit, Lynn. Sorry, it was the 11 shot. A full set of pins minus a three pin taking shots at it going, you never know when you got to practice this shot. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, guys, that is so hard. And, and you and, guys are laughing your asses off. So just and, maybe and, a, just and credit to carry them. In credit to carry, he did make it in one shot, and that pretty much proves the point. <laughs> and we and we had to shoot it twice because we shot it from the one angle and we shot it from the other angle and I did it both times on the first try. Yeah. Now, Pretty now, Terry, is that because you punch more three pins than the other guys and you have more chances at it or what? Oh, one one hundred percent guaranteed. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Come hang out with us on a Thursday night. You'll see. <laughs> there is a Carrie, there is a spot right between the middle of the head pin and a three pin. It's called the pocket. Yikes. <laughs> not very fun playing that. It's not exciting. You gotta have yeah. some excitement. It's usually buried Adam, corner. Adam, he, Adam seems to hit that spot quite a bit, and he doesn't get bored with it. <laughs> no, I, I quite like it actually. Yeah. I think he, so. just, he just complains he's going to retire. Yeah, yeah, well, at least a decade now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I, I'm such I'm such a good coach that Adam bowled one year a league with me and quit bowling league. <laughs> I've not I'm done that a, many times though. I'm such a good bowler that he bowled one league with me at on on Sunday night and I beat him an average and he quit then too. Hey, you hey, do you, do you still have that Masters uh, pamphlet? Uh, apparently I, I beat you if that if you recall. It's the only thing on paper. It's the only thing on paper that I've got. So I'll throw it in your face. <laughs> Uh, I have the records. I'll go back. <laughs> League secretary. I can, I can screen share. <laughs> hey, oh, no. All I know is I made money off you that year. You know, eventually you did. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, where should we go from this? Um, I guess, Lynn, how have, you, how have you been spending your days during the COVID pandemic? Well, I'm I'm still been working full time. I deliver oxygen, and we're considered a necessity. So, uh, so I've been uh, I've been working full time. Um, the spare time gets a little long, uh, you know, um, playing online Scrabble and watching some TV and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, now that we can get out and cut the grass and do some things in the yard, I've been outside a little bit. But but I've still been working full time. So, um, I'd like a little more to be able to do in my evenings. Uh, sports related, but uh, we'll get back into that soon enough. So, no, for sure. Um, what do you think of the C5, the Masters, and all them canceling the national events instead of uh, postponement? Oh boy, that's a tough question because uh, every answer you're going to get is just a, a, a personal opinion yep. and not really a correct answer. So, it's probably the right thing to do. Um, travel seems to be the most uh, diciest thing right now. I think if we're 
staying around our friends a little bit, mostly at home in isolation and doing all that kind of stuff. It's obviously safe, but I think, I think travel is the biggest danger. And, uh, you know, I think the National Hockey League has, has just finally realized that they're not sure whether people are going to be able to get across the border. They're talking about whether they should play, where they should play and do all this. They might not even be able to get across the border. So um, everybody's on hold right now. It's uh, it's too bad. We like our national championships and, and it's too bad for the people that have qualified and we're going to go because some of them are rookies and it's it's such a tough province. Sometimes I'd like to think that they're all going to get another chance to play and go to a national championship. But uh, for some of them, it might not happen. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's one thing the NBA has been looking at is setting up the Toronto Raptors south of the border so they could at least play the league without travel back and forth. I'm not sure if the MLBs looked at that situation, but the yeah. the ML, MLBs working on like um, almost uh, like a se- section. So there's like four different sections, or three different ones depending on your uh, divisions. But they're looking at just grouping out the east side, the west side, and central, and going from there. But have they talked about moving the Blue Jays south of the border for the season? I I would assume so, but I haven't heard anything from that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, according to Trump, the U.S. is in good shape. <laughs> yeah. Florida knows it's in good shape. They opened everything up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. That's uh, true. Well, uh, speaking of um, states opening stuff up, so Florida, or not Florida, the PBA has announced Oops, that lost, they are... lost you guys. Uh-oh. Are we back, Lynn? <laughs> He's moving. We got you, Lynn. Are we there? Yeah, we're here. Yeah, okay. You? I Perfect. lost you guys there for a second. Right. So the PBA has announced that they are going to have their first event in June. So oh. they're running really three events with no no audience, and they're going to be yeah. limited field. So I do believe the first event is eight players that won the first eight tournaments of the year, and then they're doing like a super clash, which is ten players. And then I think they're doing something after that for – the month of June. And then they're hoping in, I think it's July that they want to open up the full fields, but I know, I know they're playing in Jupiter, Florida. Yeah. So I don't know which sport is going to bite it and uh, go out there and go full throttle first, but they'll, they'll be jeopardized and ridiculed for it. Um, But I'm sure once one does it, then everybody will follow suit. It'll be UFC for sure. Well, UFC's already been doing it, right? Yeah, I, with no audience. Go, no. Golf and, and golf and NASCAR will start, but out of the big, big ones, I think you're going to see NBA go first. They always seem like to be the first ones to do anything. Um, I, I have a feeling NBA either or they'll call it, and then I think everybody else will be dictated after that with how they do things. Well, I know the German Bundesliga soccer started this mm-hmm. last weekend as well, uh, again without fans, but. Uh, I, I think once you know some of the, these big leagues, they start at least the process. Uh, I think they'll be the ones that, that allow you know fans back first. Uh, at least I, I would assume so. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing how NBA is is kind of that that ringleader. Uh, basically, whatever they they decide is uh, what everybody kind of follows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So to kind of go with uh, Jim Norcus's question there, to keep our uh, our crowd in check here. 
Um, in Alberta, I know bowling centers are really following to phase three. Is that not right, guys? Well, so today, so yesterday, <laughs> another yes, change. So, so yesterday, Bowl Alberta uh, had a, had their meeting, and from what I heard from Dad, um, they're still saying that we're stage or phase three, right? So uh, we're going to be a little bit wild with that. Um, but uh, I was talking to Richard LePro from St. Albert, and Richard seems to think that we're always stage two. So I don't know where Richard's getting his facts from. And I'm not saying he's wrong um, because Richard has been talking to his health inspector and stuff like that. And they've been saying, I think you may be stage two. So hopefully that happens. But um, I say 95% we're stage three. I, don't, I can't see us not being it. Um, so, Jim, if I don't know if you follow with the stuff from Alberta, but uh, they say stage two is going to start June 19th at the earliest. So if there's no guarantee it starts on, on June 19th. It could start later. Um, and with that being said, I think probably end of July, early August, but we don't know what, obviously, if that's going to be this case, and we don't know if uh, how many people will be open up and what kind of social distancing there will be with that. Um, yeah, and BC opened up this week. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how that works, how each province works differently. Yeah, um, obviously, for the WCBT, we're really hoping that it will be sometime in July. Um, even with a limited field, um, we've talked a little bit with Shelby back and forth. Obviously, we had him on the podcast discussing it. And if it is 50 people in the building, then I think Shelby and those guys are willing to run multiple shifts to accommodate the players that want to play, right? Um, mm -hmm. But the, obviously, they have to be open before that's even a case. And it'll have to be allowed to be like, you know, to be around people that aren't your family or your, you know, your cohort family, as they called it or whatever. Um, it's going to have, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, we're going to have to, it's going to have to be opened up to pretty much everybody at that point. So, yeah. yeah. Lots that's, of things that's, that's to. More, that's more than just a bubble. Well, yeah. it's the bowling bubble. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point. It's the bowling bubble. Well said. So, so you guys are, are top-notch bowlers, and I presume you all watched The Last Dance? Yes. Yes. Did, I'm not did all the way through Kobe, it yet. Not yet. Did you, did you think Kobe was over the top in the way he talked uh, to his teammates and pushed them and forced them to, uh, to play at a higher level? You mean Jordan? Uh, sorry, who did I say? Kobe. Kobe. Kobe, oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm... Yeah. I meant I meant uh, Michael Jordan. Yes. Um, I don't. I think no, and 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 I and I and I say that because I think his six championships really resonate. Right. I mean, if you if you ask somebody, um, if you ask somebody if they can win six championships and get pushed that way, um, and the thing is, we really have to understand is Michael Jordan uh, didn't just. Just you know, maybe it was hard on the individuals, but everything he asked, he did the same thing for him, right? Well, um, that's so right. It's, it's, yeah. it's not like he was doing something different. I, I mean, no. that's that's crazy. He started working out the day after they lost that championship, right? Yeah. yeah. He said, "I got to be in better shape for next year." Yeah. So um, I, I would say no. I'm okay I, with it. I I agree with him. I think I think that uh, he was. It's probably what that team needed, especially with like some of the people that were on that team. Um, but that being said, I don't think that, I don't think it works that way in bowling anymore. I, I don't think you could translate the level of like attacking people who are struggling. I, cause 
I, I just don't see that working in bowling because all it's going to do is make him push and press harder, and I, I don't think the results are going to come after that. I think you're better off in a bowling atmosphere to try to keep it loose and light because at least that way I think I think release is a little bit more natural. Um, when you're when you're in a sport where there's some contact involved or there's speed involved or whatever, getting that adrenaline going and pushing people to that next level can work because you could push through somebody or you know stop them from being tired or just pump them up a little. But again, bowling is a little bit of a different. Uh, and that's that's exactly why I asked that question because you're 100 percent right. Bowling isn't how fast, how strong, uh, you know I am. Um, it's all mental, and and sometimes you push people too much in a sport that's mental, and you lose them. And when you lose them, it's it's tough to get them back, right? Um, that's that's why I was saying earlier on that I try to keep people in their right mental space because um, it's it's too easy to push yourself to the point where you're going to be ineffective, right? It's not just saying I have to run faster. I have to work harder. It's I, I got to get my mind right. So, uh, so I know how to throw the ball. Adam, you've thrown as many big balls as anybody. Where's your mindset? Are you aware of what's going on around you at all times? What the other person's score is? Do you think that's important to be able to be a winner to, uh, to know your environment or do you think it's better off to go up there blind and just throw the ball? Uh, I don't know. I, I honestly, I think it depends on the person, but uh, I think most of the top end players are, are very aware of, of situational uh, play, either their their own, their teams, uh, uh, you know, com- competition. I, I think there has to be a level of awareness to understand the moment and then be, to be able to compete in that particular moment. Um, myself, I, I yeah, I, I need to know what's going on at all times. I, I need to know exactly what I need. Um, nothing worse than, than going up there, you know, assuming that you, you know, you need five pins for, for a win, but, you know, three pins is uh, is enough to, to tie type thing, right? So you end up playing inside and uh, and, and either miss or, um, or, or play, yeah, you know, miss completely. Like you have to hit that three pin to tie type thing, and I don't know. So situational play is is it's extremely important. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there, Kerry. What what do you uh, what do you like to do? I I like to know. I I want to know where I'm at, what I need. Um, it's it's obviously bit me a couple of times, but it's also won me some stuff too. So. It's a it's a double edged sword, right? Like you can put almost too much pressure on yourself and press a little bit, or you can come through and you'll feel a thousand times better than if you wouldn't have known and through the shot, right? Like there's a there's a little bit of adrenaline in knowing when you come through as well, right? I I, sure. I, th- I with that aspect, Carrie, I think there's two ways I look at it. One singles. When you're playing singles, you ha- like unless it's a match head-to-head and you're playing qualifying, nine times out of ten, you don't need to look at the leaderboard. Uh, you can know where you are just by people's reactions, how they're playing, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, I still look at it, but I don't look at it as much as I used to because I you already know what's going on, right? But for team-wise, I have to know what's going on at all times, especially when you're going that crunch time, eight, nine, ten. I, I think it's super important to know um, where you are and – and how to do all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's huge. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I I think, uh, I know Central's done it. I know Calgary's done it. I know Edmonton's done it where 
you've had to grind out those last 10 frame 10 frames and, and get it right so um i think yeah team wise you definitely you know where you're going to be at i i think this is a good um if you guys know situations where it's come through to help you or to um wreck it um so i'll start with a story so mine was 2017 autumn open going into the 10th frame i didn't really know where i was at i just asked uh derek home i said do i still have a chance to win going into the 10th frame and derek said do you want to know a number i said no i just want to know if i need to if i can win and he said yeah you can win so then you just go up and you try and throw the best shots you can throw and hopefully it's enough right um I don't think knowing the number so much is helpful. It's just knowing if it's still a possibility is probably a little bit better for myself anyways. Yeah. I, I, I think I would rather know if I need to throw a mark or not. For me, I, I think that would be a big thing. Um, I, you have to, if you have to throw a mark, obviously it's crazy as it sounds we've talked about in the past. Would you, would you play a little thin and go for the spare, right? If you, if you need a 17 count or would you go on normally, right? I'm not that good enough where I, I would play that thing, and I've done it in the past, and I, I curse myself for it. Um, I think I would have to know if, if it now, if you said, hey, Tim, you got to shoot a, a 43 count better, I don't want to know. Just tell me I need to throw a mark or whatever. And there's different theories and different times I think you need to know a little bit better. Um, but I, I, I think if you tell somebody you need to throw one good shot, I think it's, I think it's a lot easier than telling them to bang out 10. I think going yeah. into I think going into ten, I want to know what the number is because mm -hmm. I don't want to get caught off guard uh, after my first shot, after my second shot, and going into the third shot. I want to know that uh, basically prepare myself for that frame uh, before I get up there on my first shot. Like it, if you need twenty nine, right? You, you need your full thirty, right? Your second or third ball might play off a little bit different. You throw a spare. Well, obviously you're going to have to throw the strike the next ball, that's fine. But if you only need, you know, 28 or something like that, you might throw the shot just a little bit different. And it might not have to, I don't know, I, I find if, you, if you're if you forced to throw a strike um, in that particular moment, you really push that shot rather than roll that ball. But if you only need a corner, it, it, it's weird. You, you tend to roll the ball just a little bit better, almost kind of thinking no tap. Right, everybody kind of know throws a, a pretty normal shot through no tap, but if they need thirty, it's a little bit tougher. So I, I don't know that that's where I need to know the the number. But that's yeah. I don't know. Me. Yeah, I agree with you there, Adam. If you need more than ten, is totally different than if you need a strike. True. Right. Yeah. You're you're, you're definitely you strike, not going to be. If you need a strike, you're all in, right? Yeah. And I I used to find that all the time in match play. I I, I would. I would choose to throw last all the time because when you throw last, you look at the score and you say, I need 30 to win. I need 28 to win. I need 43 to win. It's absolutely cut and dry. When you throw first, you go, hey, you know what? If I get a corner and spare it, it might be enough. And there's a little bit of lackadaisical. And you still try to throw the ball well, but it's not certain. It's not defined. When I threw last, it was defined and I knew what I needed. And I, I, I always considered myself to throw a good ball when I had to because I knew exactly what I needed and there was no ifs, ands, or buts. I had to get that. And I always found I was better mentally prepared for that. One um, one of the things that irritates me a lot, and I, I certainly don't want to downplay YBC coaches because YBC coaches spend endless amount of times with kids and 
and they're the heart and soul of the teaching program and everything like that. But it drives me crazy when I go to a YBC tournament and I hear them say, stop thinking, just throw the ball. Stop thinking, just throw the ball. Instead, I'd like to hear them teach them how to think, how to prepare, how to, you know. And I've always said, I've said for the longest time, your best bowlers aren't your best throwers. Your best bowlers are your best thinkers, right? There's too many people out there that get into a situation that try to throw the ball perfect because they want to be perfect. And when you try to be perfect, you throw trust right out the window. And in a situation where you need one shot, trust is the most important thing you can have. You got to trust your ability. And so you got your mind has got to allow you to throw that shot that you need to throw. So where do you put your focus? What do you think on? We're humans. We think all the time. Every dying second we're awake, we're thinking about something. So tell them how to think. Do it at an earlier age. You know, you don't have to put a pressure on an eight-year-old or whatever, but when kids are starting to get to 12 and 13 years old, discuss the mental part of the game and get them engaged and get them thinking as to what they need to do, what they need to focus on when they're going down the approach. Uh, you know, you don't want them to be a robot. You don't want left foot, right foot, arm back, you know, because they'll never throw the ball the same. But they mm -hmm. need one or two little key points so that their natural ability will take them through to be able to make that shot. I and the people that can do that are your people that are successful. I, I, I think, oh, sorry, Dex. I, I think a lot of it's experienced with us. So I think as well, right? There's a, there's a ton of us that uh, we've learned that through experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's, that's an awareness of your game. I, I mean, um, you're absolutely right, Lynn. Uh, you need, people still need to be able to think, um, but they, they got to pick up the cues in their own game and say, okay, you know, um, yeah, this is, I need to push the ball to here. Like you, you pick one or two things out in your approach and you can feel right. it. And it, and if those are the things that you're struggling with at the time you focus on those, try to, you know, try to make sure that those are good, but one or two things and it's, it's washing out all the other noise. You can't think about every step along the way. You can a hundred percent. And I've always said, I've always said, think of focus on two things or maybe three at the most. But it's something that's at the start of your approach and something that's at the end of the approach. You don't need to think about your arm swing. Your arm swing is natural. You know, if you start focusing on something that's natural, it becomes unnatural. You don't think about breathing. You just breathe, right? And the minute you try to think about breathing, you don't breathe at the right pace. Or how big of a step do you take when you're walking outside? You just do it. So you got to be able to not numb the mind, but distract the mind and put its focus on something that's important, like your first step. If your first step is small and if, if you're holding your shot at the line, if you're reaching the ball out over the line, those are little keys that are generally important. But you don't want to think too much from the minute you move to the minute, you know, till you're about to release the ball or you'll never throw the ball the same two times in a row. So this this kind of like wants to uh, plays in a little bit what I was going to say before this. Um, you guys, it sounds like all of you guys want to be the guy that throws the last shot in 10. Um, I've changed I'm, my mindset on that. I, I I have too. Uh, last year when I won Autumn Open, I um, every coin flip that I won, I chose to go second. So I would I would finish before the other person would finish. Um, and every time that I lost the coin flip, they'd all choose to go second or to go first, so that they would get to throw the last ball. And um, that's kind of the way I wanted it because yeah, I can't I can't tell you. Well, a like for me, I'm. You were the best player out there by far, though, Dexter. That it, you playing a different position wasn't going to change that fact. 
It would have. Well, no, I, I can't know, but Kerry, I probably won four matches where somebody needed to throw a mark or a double in 10. And because I, 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 you know, banged out 10 before them. So now they need a double or a mark of 10. And I can tell you four out of four of those people punched because they, See, they knew it. Yeah. But, but you could reverse it, right? That, they, that person needs to know, okay, I have to bang out to put the pressure on Dexter to make him bang out and they could punch anyways. Right. But I they, don't they, think the situation isn't, isn't as big as you think it is. Yeah, I, 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 I also think Dexter with Dexter and his pace of play, it makes a huge difference in those, in, in those instances, whether he goes first or second. Right. So if he goes first, it's, um, he goes bang, 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 and within like where one of me and Adam's balls <laughs> takes one of us. Also, momentum changes just like that, and now now it's your, on you, right? Where yeah. you can free will and do that. If you play the second one, Dex, um, I still think it. I don't think it affects you as much as somebody else would. I think com- completely for, for sure. Um, but it, it it was weird, Carrie. Like it 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 worked oh, out. For- it worked out really well, and like all of a sudden, you know, they they had they had a clear advantage going into, you know, nine and ten, and then all of a sudden they were forced to do something in ten, and it it allowed me to freewheel, and it allowed them to press, and it worked out, and the, those those points ended up being big in the end for sure. But uh, I I don't have a problem being the guy to throw a strike if I need to. And I, I don't have a problem being like you know being the guy to throw the balls before that, um, but I, I I do think that it allows a little bit more freewheeling, and I, I don't I don't need to be the guy to throw the strike if I put the pressure on them ahead of time. Yeah, yeah it definitely think- changed my mentality on that recently as well, and uh, it it's shown uh, the, against Freddie uh, a couple years back. Uh, he had the you know he was forced to throw that last shot. Um, you know, Matt Harms, Matthew Harms there, uh, he, he was forced to throw that shot. It, it, it's so tough in that particular moment, especially at the, the highest end of the, these tournaments, uh, to, to throw a, stri- a strike when you need it. Um, if, if you're still kind of in the game or, you know, you're waiting for somebody else to play, it still feels like the game's still kind of ongoing and it's not like the finale. So there's a little bit less pressure on it, in my opinion. And I used to always be, I wanted the ball. Uh, I wanted that 10th frame. Uh, and at the time, I, I would typically come through, but it's not a guarantee either, right? So I, if, if I lose a coin flip and uh, I'm in that position, or if I win a coin flip and I'm in that position, uh, I know I'm probably, you know, 60% to, to throw the strike, right? So I'm not that that 30 or 40% guy. So... I'll take my chances with it, but I'm I'm finding throwing a little bit more pressure at the end of these tournaments is I think it's beneficial to be honest. I I guess I kind of look at it like uh, as a baseball player, I want the ball hit to me. I want to be the guy hitting the ball for the chance. I don't want to be. So I, my mentality is I want to be in the spot to win it. You you um, want you want the walk off home run. No, I want the the fly ball catch to win a championship. That's what I want. That's the easiest way. But uh, just looking at the standings from that autumn open, Dexter, you won by nearly 200 pins. So saying you lost all four of those matches, you still were really close, and you probably weren't going to lose all four of those matches if it was the other way around. So you were clearly the best player out there. I don't think the situation was 
as big as you think it was by being the person that throws the first ball. But I, I definitely think it helps me. It's mm-hmm. different in the autumn open too, yeah. where you have a single game match play and it's not like the end of your tournament. If you lose. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely right. That's and and I still, point. and I still want to go out and I still want to throw three strikes in the 10th frame. Anyway, so I don't care where I do that, whether I do that before or after somebody else does it. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and, and again, guys, looking at the situation, how many guys will go, okay, you know what? I, I, I got that corner spare. I need now. I got to, I got to throw a strike, or if I don't, I'll lose, right? And they're focusing on the losing part, yes. right? You, you don't focus on that. You look at it and you say, if I can throw a strike, all I have to do is throw one good strike, one good ball, and I can win. And then you take it one step further and you say, okay, what do I got to do to throw a good ball? Okay, I got to get set. I got to be ready. I got to make sure I'm in the right frame of mind. And then my first step is small, and then I go and I hold my shot. I get the ball out towards my target. And all that whole time, it's focus and execution. When you're looking at the strike, you're looking at the result when you forget to execute. And I'm not going to say you're going to lose all the time, but a lot of the time you will because you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the end result. We're playing to get that end result, but you've got to execute. You've got you to execute, execute, execute all the time. And you guys all know at the end of a tournament, when you've, when you've played a big cash tournament and you've won, you're tired. You're not tired physically. You could probably go out and throw another 10 games. You are so drained mentally because you are into every shot for all the right reasons, right? And that's mm-hmm. why you win. Not everybody can win, guys. And, and that's, that's a harsh and rude comment. I watch the sport all the time, and everybody has a chance to compete. You, you take a soccer ball, you throw it out in the field, you run around to kick, you compete. You know, you, you, you get a bat and a ball, and you play, and you're competing. Not everybody has it in their minds so that when they're in the situation they have a chance to win it, they're going to win it because their their frame of mind lets them down. And when you get that frame of mind right, then you're going to be winning. Not all the time because there's head pins, there's the other guy, right? There's all sorts of different factors. But you're going to be in a lot of those matches and a lot of those tournaments right to the end uh, a lot more than a lot of other people. And mm-hmm. I really think we've got I really think we've got that um, a lot in Edmonton with with some of the bowlers and. Um, I'm going to go back to my main man, you know, back in, back in the eighties, when Bruce started bowling, you either learn to bowl with him or you get out of his way. And he brought everybody along with him and he made everybody in Edmonton so much better for such a long period of time. Right. Everybody wanted to, everybody wanted to bowl with Bruce. I mean, even you guys, uh, Tim and Dex, I know you guys have said, boy, I, I wish I had more chances to bowl with Bruce and you did win a gold medal with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and uh, even that, even that gold medal, we uh, we won. We uh, we uh, we we didn't play very. Remember him and him and Brett Mapstone combined for what, like 156? 139. Right? 139. Lynn. 130, 139. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I pulled I, I pulled Bruce after like six frames, and I'm sure people are going, "How can you pull Bruce?" And I said, "Well, like, because I know that Bruce is going to go in the next game, and he's going to be yeah. superb." And yeah. I we went in the next game after we lost the first one. We went into the second game. And I had Bruce a leadoff, right? And what did he go? Triple corner, triple or something? And we four, all did. <laughs> four, four, four of the five bowlers had triples in the first four frames, and we were up yeah. by 300 pins at the halfway mark, right? Yeah. And yeah. That, that's, that's just because I know Bruce. I know his mindset. I know the fact that that buck 30 or whatever that he was involved with was a freak, and he's going to be ready to go the next game. Yeah. So that's just a part of knowing the bowlers too, right? His I, his hand just really needed, you know. His hand couldn't afford to come back out and not, and throw another hundred thirty nine. 
his, his, his handles already beat up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I know that's. I, I, th I think actually Bruce was on the bench to start because I remember Jimmy Allen was like, this is crazy. Bruce is not even in the starting lineup. I remember hearing, I remember, I remember hearing that in the crowd. I'm like, yeah, because <laughs> Bruce, Bruce didn't matter where he played, right? Well, he probably pissed me off and was laughing at me for something or making me choke on my pizza or something. So I said, you sit down. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can win without you. <laughs> but, so uh, he, was, he was great to, you know, I could, I could spend the next three hours talking about Bruce, guys. I, to be able to bowl with him, you know, I, we started bowling together on teams, I think it was in 1981. And uh, so it was like 35 years we traveled together and bowled together. And my Lord, it was such a treat. To be to be around him and watch him do some of the things he did, you know, in the in the uh, Saskatoon tournament, the one year he started four straight matches with 700 doubles, right? And guys were done after the 22nd, 23rd frame, and he did it four matches in a row. I think that's the year he went down both sides and won AB. I mean, it's just phenomenal to see some of the things that he did. But more importantly, just to hang around him and be with yeah. him. Everybody wanted to be around him, right? It yeah. was uh, he was he was an unbelievable leader as well as an unbelievable talent. So. So, Lynn, I, I don't want to cut you off, um, but once again, you're pumping another bowler's tires again. Uh, we've had Bruce on this podcast. He had his moment. It's your moment. No. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, better, I'm, better at other I'm better at other people's moments. <laughs> so we do have a lot of questions from the chat, but um, I do want to hit up on one, and Daryl Bradley brings up a good point, and it is something we were going to ask you, but um, – a lot of people know you as a coach um, kind of later in your career and stuff like that, but we want to know your player moments. What's your most memorable moment, your most uh, fist pump moment you have in your memory banks? Oh. Well, I can, I can probably do a quick top 10 list, but uh, no, I, uh, you know, it's funny. You guys didn't know me back when I was, when I was really young, people thought I was going to have a heart attack on the lane because I had so much adrenaline and so much emotion. And then it would just, be shut off that shot was over and i'd get ready for the next one and when i won the rose bowl in 1984 i was playing a gentleman from saskatchewan named larry Bohr, and uh i was gonna bring it tim when i brought it to the bowling alley today and i i, I gave you all that stuff for the open uh but maybe i'll let you have a look at it uh ron malton who used to write for the edmonton sun uh he used to write uh articles on bowling every week and i, I won that tournament uh um i finished with a seven bagger to win by nine and uh and that was that was one of my early bright moments i mean uh throwing 21 in a row in in uh in Kelowna in 1994 with in my 1235 triple that i got hot there right i went 386 i had 30 strikes and four corner pins and 34 balls um, you know, when I, when I won my master singles title, I averaged 298 for four days. Um, I, apparently I, as far as I know, I'm still in the record book for most wins in the singles in the, in the singles division and high average at, at the 298. And, uh, you know, I've thrown, I've thrown three, 800 doubles. Um, so I've done some good things in the game. Um, and maybe, maybe when I'm coaching, I can relate all of that to the players because there's been times when I've been hot and I stayed hot. There's been times where I've sucked and I've been pulled and I can, I can relate to all the bowlers on any situation that they're in at that moment. I can relate to them and hopefully I can help them because I know what I did. And there was times where my mind was wrong too. I had to learn 
I had the, I had the best teacher in the world and Brian Goodhope dragging me along and, and showing me and teaching me how to win, how to handle myself. And I didn't handle myself well in the early goings. I was, uh, I was a fiery little hothead who, who did some not good things in bowling alleys. Right. And, uh, you know, I started going to the Saskatchewan bowling school and I thought, you know what, you can't teach these kids one thing and say one thing and go out there and act like an ass. So it really humbled me and it really changed me around. And I went into about a three year slump from about 1985 to about 1987. I didn't bowl well. I remember calling Ken Norris and talking to him on the phone saying, Ken, you've been such a good bowler for so long. Where do you put your focus and everything? And when I learned to bowl without as much emotion, and I learned how to think the game and got my head in the right spot, I became a more consistent bowler and a better bowler. When I was younger, I was very high and low. Like I'd, I'd come off, I'd come off a huge game with all my emotion, and I had nothing left to start the next game. And I'd start off and I had nothing, and then I'd wind it all up towards the end of the game, and I'd have a mild heart attack, and I'd throw the last strike to win, and I'd start the next game off. I mean, guys, I went 418, 167, 401 once. How do you do that? <laughs> Ask Nick Utley. You know? Nick <laughs> you know, so so the game is the game's got a lot of highs and lows, and and I, my job as a coach, is, I think, is to try to keep people from getting into the lows, keep them on the highs, because you're playing the best of the best, and you can't afford to throw throw three bad frames in a row against the top bowlers, or you'll be done. Plain yeah. and simple. So so that's what I try and do. But you know what, my 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 career as a bowler, I'm very proud of it, and. uh I was uh, tagging along with one of my best friends, having the best time in the world. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change anything. And now the fact that I get to still hang out with great bowlers, great young bowlers and help them out a little bit and, and win some championships. That's, I, I just, I just feel so good about it. I just love the game guys. I've been playing. I went to my first nationals in 1975 as an 18 year old. And I still think as I'm, I'm as enthused as I was then. Um, that's just because I have a passion for the game. And when mm -hmm. you got passion, you get you can give lots. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. You you have probably like the most pure passion for the game I've ever seen. You can talk it all day, every day. You could yeah, just it's phenomenal. And it's it's never changed. And as long as I've known Well, I love I love I love other people's stories too. Like I can sit I can sit down with Dougie McCaw and, and listen to him talk for half an hour. I won't say a word. I love that. You know, I but listening to Gino, uh, that's a load of shit, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I did. I didn't. I didn't say an hour. I said half an hour. <laughs> but I love. Hey, you guys think I can talk? Has Has Jeff Bourne ever cornered any of you guys? Uh, yeah, he, yeah. He, talk, he talks more. He talks more about the game than I do. I love Jeff. But uh, well, no, I love listening to people's stories. Yeah, we'll. Uh, We'll kind of get you segueing into uh, our special guest questions. We'll have Adam head this off. Um, we want you to continue to talk about your accolades and what you think here, Lynn. So uh, we have some special guest questions lined up for you. Okay. Hey, Lynn. So uh, who is your uh, your bowling mentor or your bowling idol? You mentioned uh, Brian Goodhope there. Uh, Brian, Brian Goodhope did so much for me. Uh, um, you know, people that uh, bowled the cash tournaments and everything, um, Brian and I were probably the first ones to start the uh, partnership um, where we uh, shared our money and we shared it 50 50. And you know what, guys, to this day, I couldn't tell you who won more. I said that probably between the two of us um, combined, we probably won, I don't know, 
split down the middle, right? And then we each made a little bit of our own on, you know, and, and other things too. But Brian was incredible that way. Um, I really looked up to uh, to Roy Cunningham, the chief, Southern Alberta. Um, mm-hmm. Dwight Anderson, Dwight Anderson here in Edmonton. His nickname was Fuzzy. He was he was really good when I was 17 and 18, and I used to watch him. Um, one of my favorite out-of-province bowlers was a gentleman by the name of Wayne Davies out in Vancouver. Wayne and I won the doubles at the Chinook Autumn Open one time, and that was a time when they were only having two shifts, one Saturday morning and one Saturday afternoon. And, my Lord, I think the doubles the doubles was worth, like, $2,500, right? We won, like, $1,200 each. And uh, so, so I had lots of guys that I looked up to. But uh, those those were some of the big ones. If uh, if you had a, uh, an event that you would classify as your favorite, which would it be? Well, uh, like everybody else, I love playing the Autumn Open, even though I never won it. And not a lot of people would know this. I, I, I made it to the top 16 round 11 times and never won it. I finished second once. I finished third once. I finished sixth three times. I finished eighth three times. And then I had a couple of other finishes. But... Uh, I know the one time I was leading with four games to go and I started plowing and I, I lost my last four games and the people that I lost to averaged 220 and I averaged like 208 and I had every, I had, I had every game over 200. I just started plowing, maybe got a little tight. I was still a little bit younger, but uh, I love the autumn open. Um, I love KG. Uh, it was a great scoring house. That's where I won my national singles championship. Um, I love the Rose bowl. I love Bonnie Dune. Um, that's where I won the, that's where I won, uh, the, uh, the Rose Bowl in 84 and, uh, throw, thrown a perfect game there. Um, one thing that I'm, that I'm proud of, and I'm not sure how many people in Canada, um, can say this. I've thrown perfect games on both free fall ends and strings. Um, mm-hmm. I've thrown three perfect games and I've done it on both, both kinds of pinfall. Some people um, got to play on free fall. Yeah, you know. <laughs> What is you, you, what what you is you want to still be you, you want to still be my friend, Carrie? I'm gonna leave you to, I'm gonna leave you to just Gino and Gino only. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know. I another thing I'm really proud of, and uh, again, I'd much rather talk about Bruce and you guys. But um, as far as I know, I'm the only bowler in Canada. I've won three Open national golds. I've won as a player. I've won three Masters national goals as a player i've won more than three open goals as a coach and i've won more than three master uh goals as a coach so i think i i think i'm the only one in that court i've won 17 national goals um 10 as a coach seven as a player um so the game owes me nothing people owe me nothing um people always ask me if i don't get picked to coach lynn are you upset i said Man, why in the world would I be upset? One, people can make the choices they want to make. And if they ask me to coach, I'll certainly help them. I'll probably be down there yapping in the air anyways, even though I'm not coaching. Um, you know, and it's, I just, I don't know. I, I try not to think that I've got an ego, but I think something has pushed me over the years. So there must be a little one in there somewhere. <laughs> well, what's your preference, uh, opener masters? Uh, there's a lot of prestige in the in the Masters. Um, you know, you're especially out of Alberta. You you take a look at uh, the players that play in this province. I mean, look at Gino. Gino's going into the Hall of Fame. One of the best players ever. He's never been a Masters singles out of a province of Alberta. You know, it's it's tough. 
it's really tough to do. So Timmy, what you've done, uh, Adam, what you've done is, is phenomenal, right? Uh, to play the master singles like you have. Um, I was master singles, fortunately, four times. Um, you know, and I think, I think Bruce was four or five. It's tough to do. Kevin Holdsworth <laughs> never made master singles. You know, there were some really good players, excuse me, that haven't been able to, to crack the singles in, in the Masters in Alberta because it's so tough. So there's a, I think there's a lot of prestige in playing on an Alberta Masters team, but I love the Edmonton Open teams. They're just, they're people we know. They're people, you know, when you make an Edmonton team that you've got a good chance of winning, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's going to be a grind. Alberta's tough. You know, even even the province, even the zones in Alberta that haven't won as much, they're tough. They get up for you, and you can't lose a point against them. And it's 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 the best three day grind in bowling, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we we do have a fair question here from the chat, and I want you to answer honestly as much as you can, Lynn. Um, okay. Who is the least coachable out of this group? And don't be don't be afraid to hurt anybody's feelings because we want to hear it. How the least coachable? That's yeah. right. Um, I'm probably going to say Adam, only for the only for the reason yep. that uh, Adam Adam Adam's got his game. He knows where his game is. When when I coach Adam, I don't generally get very technical with Adam. I just try to keep him involved and keep him positive because Adam doesn't like losing. None of you guys do, but Adam can get on himself if he punches a couple of times. And a lot of times when he's punched, he really hasn't thrown the ball bad. He's thrown the ball in the wrong location. His speed's right, his timing right. It's out on the lane in front of him. Everything's good. So, so I'd say that uh, that I probably work a little less. Um, it's uh, it's easy because uh, just for eagle wise, you put him in anchor and don't pull him, and that's how you basically coach out. <laughs> well, and you know what's funny, Tim? The only time he did get pulled last year at nationals is he pulled himself. He says, "Land, if you don't get me the heck out of here," he says, "Now, right?" And he, yeah, and, he did, and you saw Stephen Brown just go light it up. I mean, so Adam's obviously not a team player, right? So I get technical with Adam. There's been there's been lots of time where like Adam, you've you've asked me questions. We've gotten technical on the pit together. Do I actually listen though, or am I just <laughs> just going full Gino and just talking? No, yeah, that's a possibility. I mean, your best conversations yeah. have always been with yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I listen. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what? I I can talk very I can talk very technical with Adam, but you generally don't have to because he knows his game. And I I tell people all the time too: understand your own game, right? You again, you can't you can't go into a slump of three or four frames against these guys. They'll just kill you. Right, so you got to know if if you're throwing the ball bad for two frames in a row, you got to know that you're getting up throwing the ball right and good the next the third frame. Otherwise, it's it's you're not going to compete. And I think yeah. Adam's got a really good grasp of that, and you guys do too. Um, you know, um, I don't know. I just I just love talking to you guys. And you know, what? <laughs> I was I was going to stop you again, Lynn, because you're pumping tires again. We need to <laughs> we need you to get away from that. <laughs> No. So you know, something you know, that was supposed to be negative turned into positive. again. Since you're talking, Terry, and you ticked me off earlier on there with the comment, <laughs> um, I'm going to say to you, and I've, I've said it to you a couple of times, that, that I was worried about you a couple of years ago with all your changes yeah. and, and all the different things. And I think you've lost your, even though you're throwing the ball hard, I think you've lost your, your, uh, aptitude to free wheel 
I don't think you free will anymore. I think you still throw the ball hard, but I think you try to guide it and steer it to try to be perfect because I think you've gone through about two years now of not being the same bowler you were. Yeah. And I think, I think you tried too hard to get that back. And all you've got to do is you've got to free up your mind and trust your abilities. You, you've got as, as good a natural ability as anybody out there because your game is all natural ability. But as soon as you start pushing and not trusting where you're throwing it and try to guide it to where you're throwing it, one, you take stuff off the ball, and two, you lose, you lose more accuracy than you gain. So, and, and just like I said I did in the mid-'80s, there was two or three years there when I went on pure adrenaline, and when I lost that, I lost my game. I had to learn to think the game, and then I came back, and I think I was even better than I was before, and I think that's going to happen to you, Kerry. I think when you get a hold of it and get your mind right, and get it back on the right thought process, you're going to be even better than you were. And you were really good for, for a bunch of years. Well, I, I was just going to tell these guys, I'm just, I was just uh, holding back and I was going to come out with a flourish and try and win everything possible. I, I a couple of years. I, I think also when Terry's part of his problem is he has too much on the go when it comes to all this other stuff, right? And he, it's, it's tough managing everything at all at once. Right. So. And, and, um, and you're Tim, you, you, you're the E5 president. Yeah, uh, you're the A5 president. A5. Yeah, and yeah. you're on you're on uh, you're on the computer every night throwing insults to everybody across Canada. And, uh, you're, say you're, not, say, you're say you're not busy as you're as you're dominating the Masters and. Lynn, then you also forget he's there. single. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get five dollar handies. He's he's a single boy, so he has a lot of free time. <laughs> but uh you know what it all comes it all comes to putting the bowling your ball in your hand stepping off in the lane and say you know what it's time to go to work and when you focus on the right things nothing else gets in your way mm-hmm. yeah so that that's why you're able to do it oh pretty incredible hey lynn uh, get back to some of these other questions uh oh if you're still there yeah it, 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 it's on here <laughs> Yeah, I'm can still you, talking to them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can still hear you. Yeah, still, <laughs> still there, Lynn? My wife and tell her to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> still there, Leonard? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Okay, cool. Uh, now, you mentioned you've done pretty much everything in this sport, but there's got to be something left on your uh, bowling bucket list. You know what, guys? I never got a chance to bowl on the. Uh, CBCs or the TSN pins game. I came so close. I missed by three pins on CBC and, uh, and the TSN, I, I was there right to the final ball. Um, I think that was the one. I don't know if that was, uh, Len Matarash beat me. I led the 15 games basically from start to finish. And I had a hundred I think it was 124 pin lead with two games to go. And I shot five ten, nothing great, but Len got hot and shot like six forty something. And he beat me by like, 15, 20 pins. So I never did make it onto the two TV sh- uh, big shows. Um, I have been on um, my master's win was on uh, Saskatoon local cable. And uh, uh, my second place finish in Kamloops was televised on their local cable out there. And they used to run, they used to run a television series um, uh, on CTV, CFRN here in Edmonton. And they ran it for two or three years. And uh, I think I might've won that once or twice, or at least I was in the finals um, televised once or twice, but I didn't make the big ones, the 
the TSN and the CBCs. The other thing that I'd really like to do, I'd like to win a national championship with the gals. Um, you know, I've coached two masters teams, uh, Alberta ladies masters teams, and we finished fourth both times. And I've coached two Edmonton open ladies teams and we've lost to Calgary both times at provincials and finished second. So I'd like to win a, uh, national gold medal, um, with the gals. Um, and it's not that I can't communicate with them or anything. I don't know what the problem has been there. Um, you know, taking nothing away from the other teams that have beat us. They're obviously really good teams too, but I did so much coaching in soccer. And I had all my success in soccer with the girls. I loved coaching the girls in soccer, right? I, I mean, it's a different form of communication. And, you know, you got to be careful what you say and things like that. But I really love the way the girls play the game. And the girls are so much tougher nowadays than what they were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I love their mindset in the game. But uh, it just hasn't just hasn't worked. So so those are a couple of things I'd like to do. I know I've never won a city high average either. I've been second nine times. City well, maybe they'll create a maybe they'll have like a, a seniors division for that now. <laughs> I think most of the seniors can still walk though. I mean, some of those guys are. I mean, look look at Bobby Charter. What's Bobby Charter? Eighty three years old, averaging two fifty. Like, come on. Yeah, it's probably yeah. <laughs> you know, so some some of these seniors are pretty. Anybody want to call Greg Gigliak a senior? Yeah, the guys, the guys running marathons and climbing mountains and doing tough mudders, and he's in better shape than the 25, 30 year olds. I honestly, Lynn, I thought the time I did tough mudder with him, I thought that was it. I thought he was dead. I thought, yeah. I thought, I thought we killed the guy, but he pulled through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. You know what? I'd like to see, I'd like to see uh, a small tournament or something with say four or five teams of guys. 55 60 years uh, and older you know i'd i'd love to get on a team out there with uh, bruce and gino and myself and tom stevenson and and just get out there and compete against another team from saskatchewan or something like that and throw a few games for for a couple of dollars man i would absolutely love that you know i'm sure it, you it would cost it would cost so much extra for travel since like insurance. carrying around your walkers and <laughs> all that stuff though Lynn, I'm sure your yeah. company can sponsor it. I mean, it's right up their alley, literally. That's right up their alley. Yeah, that's right, right? Yeah. I don't know. Well, George Shillabier, George Shillabier lawn bowled on oxygen. So, uh, so he did. Sure given him <laughs> so, the chance, he would have thrown a bowling ball with it. So, uh, if we, almost, knows, we had him almost convinced to come back and bowl, and then he yeah, passed. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was coming back. Uh, if, if you guys have never met George, he's, he was quite the character. Uh, yeah. I remember, I remember the story about his oxygen. We were at uh, the Pro Challenge down at KJ Bowl um, in Edmonton, and uh, I keep on hearing this foul light go off. And he's bowling with that. He's coaching Dex's team, right? Because the legends came out, and I'll hear his beep beep. I'm like, "What's going on with the foul light, Jocelyn?" Say, "It's not the foul light." And I went down there, and George is just swearing at Dexter. He's like, "You suck! You're supposed to be good with these kids. You sit down right here, and you you're being crappy." And, and I look over, and I said, "George, your oxygen's low. It's beeping. Like it was a foul light, but no, it was oxygen." Right? <laughs> only George, right? Only, only yeah. George. Yeah. Ah, this stupid yeah. thing. It just means I'm out. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know, you know what, guys? I'm gonna make a prediction. Weber's gonna be in a walker before any of us. <laughs> You can't you can't continually go to the foul line and lay face down across the foul line and expect that to be good on your body. Just once. 
started my workout regimen that day, Lynn. Yeah, that was the one push-up he's done in 17 years. Yeah, like half, half of one, really. I was I was already kind of already set up when I landed, so. Yeah, yeah. halfway through the air, you're going, this isn't going to finish well. <laughs> On the way down, all I see is dollar signs flying away. Yeah. <laughs> no, only one, only one person. He's, he's not bitter. He's not bitter, guys. No, you know what? I enjoy this one. I enjoy this one over the fly, though. I mean, no one cares about that fly. Yeah, yeah. the fly. No, There's gonna be a new, yeah. the new documentary on Netflix: Adam Weber yeah. versus the fly. The ten episode yeah. mini. Adam, I, I can I can relate to that because uh, I was playing one. soccer. I uh, I played a lot of soccer, right? And I played some high levels of soccer. I remember I was ripping in on a breakaway, and I was little, and I could I could I could run pretty fast. But I'm a mouth breather. Right, and I'm going down with this breakaway. My mouth's open, and a fly went straight in my mouth and went down the throat. Man, I tried to take a shot, and I'm choking and I'm coughing. And yeah, they laughed at me pretty hard that day. Did Did you score? No, of course I didn't score. All right, that That's makes weird. me feel better. Thanks, thanks, I thought, I thought you inhale everything. Here, let, let's have a story about Lynn. It was a couple years ago at uh, Open Provincials, and this year, this year. Oh, was it? No, yeah. Well, I guess I guess last year, this year, whatever. The last Open Provincials we had, um, we're going at the banquet, and we're waiting for the roast beef to come out. So we're in the line for the food. It's like, oh, roast beef. We'll go back and grab it in a minute. So Lynn gets in the lineup, and he like loads up his plate full of food, gets to the end, eats the whole thing in the lineup, gets his roast beef, eats that, comes sit down on the table, like, Lynn, where's your food? He's like, I ate in the lineup. Done. Yeah, well, there's, there's certain certain things you got to do, guys, so you don't get shortchanged, you know. You know, and, uh, so yeah, there was. There That's was what all those appearances do. <laughs> we, I should, uh, I should tell you about uh, when I was younger. I was notorious for doing a salad bar roll, you know, because the tournaments end late on a Sunday night, and we go out to a restaurant and in Saskatoon. We used to go to a couple of places, and in Kamloops, we'd go to the keg and we'd be the only ones left in the restaurant and everything would be cleared away and the salad bar was empty. All it was, was the ice. And I used to do a salad bar roll through this, through where the salad was through the ice and come out the other end. Um, that's uh, one thing I was, we had a, we had a massive food fight in Kamloops at the keg one time. And so at, the, one of the people, at the keg. Oh, at the keg. We had, we had the whole section to ourselves. You walked through some French doors, opened them up and there was a huge area and it was all bowlers. There must've been, 25 or 30 of Pizzy, Jorgensen, Bruce, and uh, just tons of us. And we had this, we ended up having this massive food fight. And I remember the bill came to over $800. And the, the bill was like a dollar fifty more for booze than it was for the food. And uh, we gave the guy $500 to clean, to clean up the area. Because he said, you know, we might have to charge you guys for cleaning this area. And we said, don't worry. We'll make sure he gets looked after. And he got a $500 tip for cleaning up after we left. That, a lot that, of money back then. That was the 80s, wasn't it? 90s? Yeah, that was in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there was a, the one time you know you guys know Cam and Phil Robinson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they were we were, we were in the keg and there was a biker gang in the keg too, and we walked past all their bikes that were standing up outside the keg. We had this food fight going on, and I don't know who it was through a cherry tomato. They were sitting at the end of the table, and they missed the guy at the other end of the table and bounced onto the bikers' table and hit the guy one of the bikers right in the chest, right, and. And uh, we kind of all straightened up and, you know, like, so as we're leaving, we're going out the bar and Cam Robinson says to one of the bikers, yeah, sorry for knocking your bike down out there. And the guy mm -hmm. looks at him and he goes, 
you didn't knock my bike down. You're still alive. And we're going, Cam, shut up. You know, don't, don't say. So we were kind of a bit rowdy sometimes in restaurants from time to time, but um, yeah, those were, those were some fun times. Hey, can you guys, am I, on, am I on the screen there? Cause I'm not on my screen. No, you're, you're blacked out, but we can still hear you. I know, but I'm the best. I'm the best it's looking the, one. I, want to I was just gonna say it's the best you ever looked, Lynn. It's really. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah, I, beat you to it. I mean, it's a better angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey. Five years ago, you wouldn't have got me in, but I've slimmed down now. You know. <laughs> no, that's, you're just on widescreen. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Lynn. We we yes. do have some more special guest questions for you, but I'm gonna hey. interject here. Um, I think the most important event of your career, this uh, just came this last year at the Gallagher Cup. We had the best coach in history, a Hall of Famer, the best possible player in the history of five-pin bowling as a coach as well. And you had an unlimited pool of talent. And Which somehow team, somehow team innovator <laughs> lost. How is that possible? That's because I left them alone. <laughs> I, I, let them, I let them do it on themselves right <laughs> all i know is you put me against tim wiseman that match came through that's the one that you're really worried about i know and i'm happy i came through for you well you know what you know what i talked about putting guys that are in slumps against easy bowlers you know <laughs> so, it worked I, perfectly Great I, I thought it would help you i thought it would help the rest of your year out there i i never came out of the slump win it's still <laughs> yeah. Yeah. tim was talking about quitting bowling after that tournament though well he should have that was a disgrace tim tim talks about quitting bowling once or twice a year guaranteed i almost i'm almost at the point where i keep notes on when it is it's, it's almost like clockwork and then he comes yeah, home well, with you, know what, you know what tim you, you, Tim, you talk about quitting another two or three thousand times and you'll have tied genome. <laughs> I hope he was, I hope he was listening to that. <laughs> oh, he was. <laughs> so, we get to, do we get to do this to midnight, guys? This is a lot of fun. We definitely have more time. I know Adam has a few more questions for you, too. Oh. Okay. Yeah, def definitely. Uh, can, can you recall uh, your toughest match? Oh, my toughest match? Uh, I, again, this is a wish-washy answer. I always considered every match tough because the minute I took somebody uh, lightly, I lost. You know, um, I, I, I try to tell people all the time, respect everybody because the minute you don't respect them, you're going to punch three times and they're going to throw a four-bagger somewhere in the game. They might miss six times, but they get that four-bagger and you're going to punch three times and you're going to lose to them. So respect everybody, but fear nobody. And that's always been a line I've always used. Respect everybody because everybody needs to be respected. They're people first. And, you know, they're in the game for the same reason you are. So respect them, but don't fear them. Because as soon as you have fear, then you, uh, you don't play the game the same way. Fear of failure is one of the biggest problems <clears throat> in sport, period. People get to a position. They dream about being in positions where they have a chance to win something or do something really good. And their mind lets them down because all they can think about is what if I lose? What if I lose? It's a knock against my self-esteem. Um, I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to, all these things go through their mind and it, it takes away from their performance. Really? You know, I, uh, I, uh, for years I went to the Saskatchewan bowling school and I asked the kids all the time, 
what's the most important ball you're going to throw? It's the one that's in your hand right now. And you, you got to learn to forget that head pin and pick your wood. You got to forget about the fact you threw a great ball the way you wanted. And for some reason, the corner didn't go down. Now you got to spare it. So, so that becomes really important. And I also asked the kids too, I said, how many of you could walk into an empty bowling alley on a Monday morning and throw a strike? Nobody around, just you throw a strike. Just what everybody puts up their hands. And I say, okay, how many people could be the anchor bowler in their four steps team at provincial championships and they need to throw the first strike in the 10th for their team to go to nationals? Who could throw that strike? And you barely ever see any hands go up. One or two guys because they're a little bit of the hot dogs, right? You know, they're just being funny. So I say to him, I said, so what's the difference? And they start giving me all of these reasons. And I say, none of those have anything to do with getting up on the lane, picking up a ball and throwing it for a strike. It's all outside pressures that you allow to get in your mind and disrupt your train of thought from what you're trying to do, which is pick up the bowling ball and throw a strike. And when you get that thought process in your head, then you're going to be like you guys. You're going to be mm-hmm. great. You're going to win lots. You're going to compete well all the time. And uh, you're going to be people that get looked up to, right? So, Lynn, I want to just, I'm going to like maybe rebuttal a little bit against what you had to say there. Um, not, not in a negative way. I actually, um, I have a huge, uh, fear of failure with bowling or anything in really in life. I just, how I always been. And, uh, I use it as motivation a lot of the times I, I find it, I use it the other way. Um, just cause you know, especially like if it's, if I have a chance and you know what, I, I might need 600 for two. I don't want I don't feel like I want to fail. I kind of grind it out. Right. I try to get my best I can. Um, so I use it the other way, but nine times out of 10, you're correct with that. I think I do agree with you on that. Yeah. Fear of failure. I call that FOF disease, FOF, fear of failure. (laughs) And FOF disease is a killer. You get it in your head and you know, it's why can't you throw, you're not on stick strikes in a row. You got to get up and throw one good ball, right? So you're not on eight in a row. You got to throw, get up and throw one good ball. And I think that's why somebody like Gina was able to throw 26 in a row or, I, I threw 30 out of 34 strikes and, you know, cause I'm not worried about what I'm on, what I'm going to ruin. My focus is throw this ball for what it's worth. What do I got to do for me? It was always small first step. Go. And I, stay uh, by the I really think that that that's a big reason as to why my pace is so quick up on the lanes too, is it, it doesn't give me the opportunity to have any of those thoughts go through. Right. Not get up yeah, there. Well, take my step, focus on the cues and my approach and go. Yeah. Well, I was always known as one of the fastest players out there and, and people wanted to know why this, because well, when I got up on the lane and put the ball in my hand, I already knew what I wanted to do. I had used my time in the pit and before I got on the lane to do all the mental imagery and the focus and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, again, I tell people, I've got all these things that I say, I, I tell people getting a bike is really easy until somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I'll give you a million dollars if you can get on that bike without falling off. How much do you start overthinking? And getting on a bike is easy, you know, and throwing a strike can be really easy. You just have to allow your mind to get to that point where you know what to do to do it. And once you do that, man, you've got it, right? So, I've seen some people actually have that on the flip side too, where uh, they're, they're trying to get to the finish line before actually getting to the finish line. Right. It's almost like a fear of like of winning or a fear of champion. Right. It's uh, they, they just kind of, I don't know, lock up. You know what? 
uh, Adam, I, I, what you said is absolutely unbelievably so true. And winning puts a lot of pressure on you because it, it builds expectations. And sometimes people can't stand up to their own expectations because of what they've achieved. So sometimes they're afraid to do well because they're not going to be able to handle everything that comes with it. Right. Um, and, and that's a really, really good point, right? Cause you win once you expect it to win again. And then when you don't win again, again, it's something that falls against your self-esteem or who you are. You're a loser. Um, I'm a choke artist. I'm all that. You're none of the above. You're an athlete. You're playing a game where two people are competing and one's going to win and one's going to not win. Right. Um, but don't let don't let losing get in the way of what you're trying to do. If you're afraid to lose, you'll never win. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very true. Lynn, it, what was your toughest match? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I gotta ask a question about Okay. Who is my toughest who is my yes. toughest person to bowl against? Or, or no, just just one match, <laughs> one match, one match that sticks match? out in okay. your head as like the best match you ever had. The best match I ever had. Um, oh God, I don't know. Um, I, I got a thousand that were bad. Really, uh, really put you on the spot here, Lynn. This is where yeah, you ought to yeah. come through. You, you literally yeah, stalled yeah. for ten minutes. And you still <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who's given the worst answer ever on any of these questions that you asked over? Oh, over God. Now it's this one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, my, very first, my very first win in the Rose Bowl, finishing with a seven-bagger to win by eight or nine. Um, that, was, that was huge, and that, that taught me how to win. Um, Who was that against, you know, Lynn? Pardon? Who was that against? That was against, that was against Larry Bohr. Larry Bohr from uh, Saskatoon. And... Uh, you know, um, averaging averaging two ninety eight for the four days in uh, Saskatoon at the KG. Um, every game, I I just felt like I was going to win. Uh, you know, I, I shot a four hundred three three ninety seven back to back for my the one eight hundred double, and I went seventeen and four. And I was just I was just locked for a long time, right? And it's one thing to be locked for a few hours or a few matches, but then you get up the next day and you're locked right from the get go again, right? And uh, and that was, uh, I, I, was, I really liked that. That was fun. Um, I remember bowling the Invitational semifinal in Saskatoon. I bowled the Invitational 11 times, right? That's the $1,000 entry. Yep. And I never once, I never once uh, paid for it. I was sponsored every time. And uh, I won my first match six times and lost my first match five times. But every time I won my first match, I won my second match. So how I handled the sponsorship was... Uh, the sponsor got a hundred percent of the first match. So if I won my match and got the thousand dollars back, the sponsor got all thousand dollars back. And then we split 50, 50 from then down. But I, I was in the semifinals against Roy Cunningham and uh, Roy didn't bowl that, that well. He, uh, he shot six thirteen for his three games and he happened to beat me because I punched 15 times in 30 frames for a five ninety eight. And I can just, I can still just even talking about it. I can feel myself getting angry. Right? <laughs> and, uh, I just, no matter what I did, I punched. And then in the 10th frame, I got a chop off and had to spare it and then get a corner pin to win. And I missed the chop, you know, 15 head pins. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get the chop spare. Um, so that, that was a disappointment. Um, as far as, uh, as a person that I had a hard time with, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you, Adam, you would certainly know Stan Black. I don't yep. think I ever beat Stan Black. And Stan, Stan was very important to me. You talked about early mentors. 
I had a lot of talks with Stan, and Stan said anybody can win once. Um, you know, you uh, you just start bowling well, and you don't realize what's happening, and it's done, and hey, I won. He says, but the second time, you want to win, and you know the feeling of the situation, and you're looking around, you're in the situation, you're much more aware. He says, once you win a second time, he said, then you become somebody, right? And Stan, Stan was such a competitor, and he never, ever let me get up on him. He always beat me. It doesn't matter. If I shot 212, he had 220. If I shot 330, he was 340. It just didn't matter. He was, and I, I had so much respect for Stan, and I learned so much from him uh, just in talking, you know. Um, I, I don't know. Did you get much chance to talk to him, Adam? No, not, not very much. Not very much, yeah. Yeah. Here, well, here, plenty of stories, though. Yeah, yeah, plenty of stories. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. Stan would probably have been my, oh, and I never beat Mark Swatsky. I was probably owing something against Mark Swatsky. Right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I did well against Chanis. I don't think Robert Shannis ever beat me. Um, there was other guys uh, I did really, really well against. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's I just. I think you uh, answered the question. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what, Carrie? I've always considered you the, the quiet, silent, uh, nice guy type. Boy, has that image been changed I, on the show. Been I'm, just, I'm just an internet troll, Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not really true. No. <laughs> Keyboard no. warrior. No. <laughs> so, more questions? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got one more I, I really have to ask because you've been around this game in every aspect forever. Uh, what do you see as the like the the improvement that this sport really truly needs? Needs or has? Yeah. Needs. It needs. Next step. Um. Well, I don't know because I think the tournament side of bowling is there. Um, you guys know uh, through the TPC and Regina and and the Autumn Open and and uh, Red Deer, the, the tournaments, people show up to bowl. But we're losing bowling alleys because people don't show up to bowl. Um, and I know I know, as tournament players, it's tough to get engaged in league play. Uh, you know, uh, Bruce didn't bowl league for a zillion years. Adam, you're, you're not thrilled about league that much because it doesn't stimulate you, right? And uh, we need people to bowl in the league so the bowling alleys aren't shutting down. Right, um, it'd be nicer if the five pin and the master or the five pin and the uh, proprietors got along a little better. Some get along well with the uh, with the five pin associations, and some don't. Um, we got to understand for them it's a business, and they got to understand for us it's a it's more than a sport; it's almost a religion. And yeah, uh, you know, we got to get we got to get on the same wavelength, and that that would that would help. But as far as as far as probably the last five years of bowling, nothing, nothing has helped bowling more than the group of people that I'm looking at right now. Tim and Dexter, what you and your family have done for bowling um, and what you guys do, you guys are so respected all across Canada. And, and uh, Carrie, for you uh, to be running this, this pins game, and, and or not the pins game, this website with the WCBT and the interest you've gained all across Canada, you guys are what bowling's all about. Um, you're great leaders, and more importantly, you're really good people because everybody, everybody wants to talk with you. Everybody wants to engage with you. Adam, you're simply, for probably the last three years, you're simply the best bowler in Canada. And who doesn't want to 
who doesn't want to be around somebody that's got that title to their name, right? I know, uh, I know. Three, I three other guys on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know I probably weirded you out a little bit after the Open this year when you didn't qualify and I came down and talked to you in a, in a bit of a sobbing tone, but I just wanted you to know that it doesn't change of what people think about you as a bowler and as a person as to who you are because because you didn't make the team. You're just you're just that good. Oh no, I, I can tell you, Lynn, I, I was uh completely disappointed. Who misses an open team? Unreal. <laughs> still still retain my national title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, but, I, but Carrie, but Carrie, in, yeah. in Adam's in Adam's, you know, favor, he did miss an open team that had more than 14 players. <laughs> you are right, he also got to play in the best houses in Alberta instead of the, the uh, toughest houses in Alberta. Yeah. 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 There's some people really can grind that. through that. <laughs> I'm not a grinder anymore. I told you guys. Uh, Lynn, there was a question from uh, Len Ansaf here. Who do you think yes. was the most underrated bowler you have ever seen? Somebody that should have won a lot more than they ended up doing in their career. Well, I think somebody that's older that didn't win as much. Doesn't yeah. matter. Whoever you want. Oh, boy. Um, I think I think there's a fair amount because they would get to that pinnacle and then, um, you know, they would run into a Bruce or they would run into a Peter Itis or they would run into maybe a Tom Patterson and it just prevented them from getting there. Uh, I tell you one guy right now um, that I think should be winning more than he does because I, I love the way he throws the ball. I love his his emotion in the game. I think he's great. And that's uh, Derek Holm. I, I can watch Derek Holm throw 24 hours nonstop, but there's just something that, that has gotten in his way um, when it's come time to get him into the final or get him through the final or whatever. But Derek's one of these guys that when he does win, watch out, he will he will win a lot um, because I just, I just love everything about Derek's game. And he's an athlete. I think he's got a good mind. Um, it just hasn't happened for him. Um, I always thought, uh, and I, this is really a tough one to say because he's one of my best friends, but I always thought Tom Stevenson should have won more. Tom Tom always, um, oh God, how do I say this without offending anybody? Tom's won national singles titles and everything, but Tom, I, I think Tom let money get in his way. I think the money was important to Tom, and I think Tom pushed just a little bit too much. He was always getting down there near the finals, or getting into the getting into the the Calcutta money or whatever, and it just didn't happen for him sometimes. And Tom's done some winning, but I always thought Tom was so technically good with the way he threw the ball as far as uh, mechanics and and pure plain uh, athleticism. Um, I always thought Tom should have won more. And, uh, and the same thing goes same thing goes with Tom Patterson. Tom Patterson's got a lot of masters and stuff like that, but I always thought Tom should have won more cash tournaments. <coughs> um, Tom, Tom is probably the person like out of everyone I've met that that just understood exactly how everything was going to react at all times. Like he knew he was going to throw the ball at this point. It was going to break at this point. It was going to hit the pins at this point. It it was so just 
his his mindset and logic behind all of that was just so good. But there, that also involves so much thinking all the time too. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, that that can be tougher as well. You know, mm -hmm. to to be that precise all the yeah. time is difficult. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing when you when you've got that much to think about, sometimes something gets in the way. That's why I say you got to keep it simple, but you've got to still stay focused on something that allows your natural ability to work. And Tom is Tom uh, Stevenson is truly one of the the best natural athletes I know. Right? He played two different sports in college down in the U.S. Right? He's got his pro golfing ticket. He's he's won bowling tournaments and. And he he teaches the game, and he's Tom's a phenomenal athlete. But he was drafted by the Argonauts, am I right? He, he was drafted in 1981 by the Toronto Argonauts, yeah. just as they got uh, just as they got uh, and Andrusician. So they shipped him to Saskatchewan, and just as he got to Saskatchewan, they signed David Ridgway, Robo Kicker. So so his CFL career was cut short, but not many people can say they've been drafted in a professional sport, you know, like a Harvey Poxa who understands athletics and everything like that right and we all know what harvey brings to the game right um so so there's that side of it too but bowling is so different it's 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 just as much mental as it is uh athletic ability yeah for sure hey guys we got time for one more question here um lynn after this question we'll uh shut the podcast down but you're more than welcome to stay on the the live stream and we'll talk a little bit more um does hey. anybody have a question they want to ask the great uh Hall yeah, of I Famer? Got, I got one as well. Go ahead, Tim. Well, I, I actually, if it doesn't take that long, um, I do. I've always wondered, and, you know, Brett brought this up about a mixed team, but I would like to know, other than Bruce, right, other than Bruce, who would you, five players, any five players you would want a team, uh, who would you have with Bruce, I guess? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming Bruce is on your team with you. So <laughs> name me three other players that you would like to have on an all-star team with you. That you would over all your years, and you need two well, ladies on this I'll, team. I'll tell you what, uh, I'll, I'll just go with an Edmonton team right now, right? And uh, I'll put uh, I'll put Bruce on there with uh, with Matt Schultz and uh, and you three right there, Tim Dexter and Adam. That's that's as that's as that's as good as we're as so we're De get so Dex and Tim are the ladies, they're cross dressing for this one. <laughs> oh, just because I've got titties, uh, it's, a, it's a mixed team, Lynn. It's a mixed team. Oh, Oh, sorry, I guess I didn't, I didn't get, well, yeah, okay. So Bruce, uh, Bruce and Maddie and um, Adam and uh, let's see, we're going to go with two gals. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go, well, you've got to take Jenny Baker and I'm going to pick Annette Campbell. I, I like Annette. I think she's solid. I think she's a good teammate. Um, now there's, there's somebody that doesn't know they're as good as they actually are, is Annette. Yeah, and I've told her that agreed. too. And, She's told yeah. me before she's she's had a hard time dealing with understanding that. But I mean, who wouldn't want to throw the ball like Annette? Annette's Annette's beautiful to watch. She's she can uh, she's solid. She's I think she's positive. She loves bowling on him on a on a mixed team. And uh, yeah, I, I'll go with that five. Perfect. Right? Excellent. Hey, then uh, uh, again, congrats on your your Hall of Fame. Uh, that this uh, you know last year, uh, I want to know how your your thoughts on just how fitting it was to go in with uh, you know who, who you called your best friend in uh, Bruce Mortar. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. When I when I heard about it at first, 
my my interest was right away it was well it was nice right but um i i, I don't know i like i always said i i like talking about other people and and uh, when i found out there was nine women that made the uh, first ballot and bruce i thought how fitting for bruce to be the only man to go in on the first ballot i'm a little biased um and i, I and i know uh every province has their top bowler that they think has been you know deserved of that personally i think bruce Bruce deserves to be in there, the first one. Um, I'm incredibly proud and happy for the group that are going in this year as well. All great people and great bowlers. I've bowled with them, against them. I'll hang with them at any time. I'll talk. And, and it's just it's just all right. So you're right. I, I think the joy for me at that whole function, even though I was a, a crying, babbling idiot for about <laughs> 45 minutes while we are in the team room there, celebration room um i was so happy to see bruce go in and go in than i was for myself but you know what guys it's nice but i don't play the game for accolades i don't play i play the game because i want to give back to the game because the game has done so much for me right it changed who i was was a, as a person when i was a young boy i was very shy and i was very uh timid and i was very a whole bunch of things which is part of the, what Brian brought me out of, right? Brian taught me to be a person. Um, Bruce and I were friends in a totally different uh, way than what Brian and I were. So bowling changed me, and I just want to give that to other people so people can experience it because it's, it's, it's a great feeling. It's a great game, and you can do a lot of great things in this game. And uh, I've enjoyed it. It's been good to me, so why not give it to other people? Perfect. That's oh, you're, you're more than deserving as well, Lynn. Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, guys. All right. So, uh, Lynn, like I said, we're going to end the podcast now, but you're more than welcome to stay on. Just wait for me to bring you back in. And I just want to thank everybody on the chat and uh, communicating with us and uh, putting some funny posts in there. We we try and share as many as we can. Many is that this isn't a PG podcast, but we try and keep it a little bit appropriate. But yeah, PG thirteen at best. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one this one would have been really good if Sue wouldn't been on trying to serve porn. But I mean, that's <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, Lynn, for coming on, and uh, just hold on. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, okay, buddy. Guys. Always, always a pleasure, Lynn.